four, three. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to a very special edition of Wrestling with the Future. I am Mad Dog DeCipio. Yes, you heard me right. I am the Mad Dog tonight. Mad Dog DeCipio with a stellar crew. And uh, let's get right into it. Let me introduce you um, to a newbie for the show. He's a, a good friend now. After one phone call, he's a great friend. Uh, his name is Seth With They call him Mr. Fish and Chips. You are a, a boxing and wrestling historian, Seth. And I've done a little research on you and uh, you and I have talked a little bit and uh, you guys, you got some pedigree. You got yeah, you have yeah. a little pedigree behind you. So, uh, yeah, I feel confident. You know what you're talking about. And uh, speaking of confidence and pedigree, brother, let me tell you what. I got a guest here. He's not only a guest. He is actually in the history of this show. The second guest we've ever had live on air. And I don't know if he knows that or not. No, he didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's absolutely true. The first was Jack Victory. And the second was Davey O'Hannon, my friend and my neighbor from Atlantic City. Davey O'Hannon is a journeyman that wrestled for Vince McMahon Sr.'s Worldwide Wrestling Federation. From, I guess, wanting to say... 73, Davey, 74? Actually, 72. I found that out myself. I just found that out myself recently. I thought it was 73, and I was reading a story about Tony Gurria, and it turns out that uh, Tony's uh, very first match in the New York Territory was with me uh, in uh, 1972. So, So I learned something. And you uh, you finished up uh, your wrestling career what year? I'm I'm saying 89 is what my best uh, research yep. tells me. Yeah, yeah, the end of 89. You're absolutely right. Okay, so it was uh, my research is on the money. Good. Yep. Good stuff. Davey O'Hannon is a guy who brings a talk about pedigree. Holy crap! Um, you've been around a bit, my friend. Uh, and tonight we're going to talk about. <laughs> I may cry tonight because I need to, I need a box of Kleenex. I'm going to cry over memory lane here. Wrestling when it was good, when it was, as our friend Nikki Brezhnikov would say, when it was real. Yep. Uh, great book, by the way. If you ever get a chance to read Nikita Brezhnikov's book, when it was real. Um, yeah, when storytelling and characters and psychology meant something. So, Davey, let's just get right into this. Let's talk about, if, if I give you the book, and you have the pencil now. Mm-hmm. All right. If you're in charge of wrestling, how do you, as the guy with the power of the pen, how do you maintain great storytelling, good characters, um, implement ring psychology with the mess that's on our hands today. What do you do to fix this crap? Well, first of all, let's let's keep in mind what we're talking about here. We're talking about wrestling. Yeah. Uh, you know, some time back, uh, I was involved with the the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, and uh, you know, Bruno and I were really close friends. Uh, sure. And he would not come to receive uh, his honor because at the time he thought that Vince McMahon was involved. 
Anyway, this is this is just a little bit long way into the answer to your question, but take your time. I talked. I I I talked to Bruno, and and you know Bruno and I would talk at least once a week, and uh, you know I said to him, "Geez, I'd I'd really like you to consider coming out and getting your ring and being honored. You know, it's it's something that you deserve. That's owed to you uh, by the world of professional wrestling." And, uh, and fi- you know, I convinced them that the McMahons were not involved in this thing. Uh, so anyway, he finally agreed uh, to come. And I was lucky enough uh, to be able to induct uh, my friend into the Hall of Fame. This is the real Hall of Fame. This is not the WWE Hall of Fame. Right. This is the professional wrestling. Anyway, uh, I usually don't prepare if I need to speak. Uh, so I kind of I kind of winged it, and and this will bring me to the answer to what do you do if you if you got the pencil and the book right now. When I was introducing Bruno, uh, I went back to when I was a fan, and I happened to be in Madison Square Garden the night that Bruno beat Buddy Rogers, the old Madison Square Garden. Sure. And I said, I said, you know what the marquee said that night? It said, wrestling, wrestling tonight. Yeah. Wrestling tonight. Rogers versus Sam Martino. I said, there was no Hell in a Cell, Rage in the Cage. There wasn't Summer Slam, Spring Slam, Winter Slam. It was wrestling. That's what was going on. And that's yeah. what was going on when I got in the business. It was wrestling. And... I I never actually formally was broken into the business. Right. I didn't go to there were no wrestling schools. Uh, I didn't go to a gym to uh, learn this stuff. I learned on the job. Right. On and the Dave, job. can we point out, especially back when when you began your career, it was a really close knit fraternity. You didn't get in unless you knew somebody that was already. Oh, in. this was this was a closed shop, man. This was a closed shop. Yeah. You didn't just you didn't just walk in, and, and and I had a I had a BS my way into the business out in Kansas City. You know, I told the lie to the promoter out there. Then I came back here and told the lie to the promoter here, and they thought I was in. Okay. And 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 what I did was I learned in the ring that I was not in. You know, and and the old timer showed me. So as far as changing things now. I mean, you know, I I see, and and this is not a knock on either the independents or the the guys that are working now. They're, they're for the most part, absolutely phenomenal athletes. They're, they're tremendous athletes athletes right now. And, and, and they're, they're better athletes, uh, because they're, they're more sophisticated in their training and everything than we ever were. Uh, they're fantastic athletes. Uh, the only thing I would say to them now is, listen, when you get into the ring, the first thing you need to do is not jump up on that top rope and holler at the fans. And uh, you don't need to do uh, 50 or 60 high spots that mean nothing. That mean nothing. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to see your finish, uh, you know, 14 different times. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to wrestle. We're going to wrestle. Absolutely. And that's going to tell Absolutely. the story to the people. Now, we gave the people uh, 
a little opportunity every night to suspend their disbelief. Sure. You know, we used to hear that nonsense a whole lot. Ah, come on, some um, this crap is all fake. You know, there were a couple answers we had to that stuff. You know, one was, yeah. well, you know what? I don't know what you see on television, but I could guarantee yeah. you for sure that I'm not faking, and and yeah. it'll only take me only take me about thirty minutes or thirty seconds uh, to convince you. Convince you. you. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, well, or, Davey, or you uh, Seth wants to jump in here real quick. Sure. Yeah, Seth, if Seth. you don't mind me uh, addressing that, you know, uh, talk about pedigree. Uh, I was trained by Fabulous Mula. You and I talked about that. And uh, Spotnik yep. Monroe. And yeah. the thing about them, if you want to talk about, you know, the old days or old school is they talked about wrestling one and the same as boxing. Um, yeah. They never, you know, it was all prize fighting. It was presented as prize yeah. fight and you had to know how to handle yourself um so sure. it was never even though i was smart to the business it was never drilled into me on the entertainment aspect it was drilled into me more on the fight side and that's yeah, eventually right. how i ended up getting into boxing and things like that and you, you said something uh baby that made me think of that uh, quote from i believe it's johnny valentine you know that that said uh, i can't make you believe that wrestling's real but i can sure as hell make you believe that i am I'm yeah, absolutely I'm, right. That's where it came from. Wrestling today, yeah. um, you know, it's easy. I could come out here and say, "Oh, today's terrible," and yesterday was better. Um, I like you're saying the athletes they're phenomenal, uh, but how do we help them interject? You know, we can't once they broke kayfabe, we can't put the genie back in the bottle. Yeah. But how do we help them interject that reality, that moment for the audience to say, "Well, I know what this is, but you know what? That one moment, that one guy." That was something. That made me think otherwise. You know, Can I throw I my that... two cents in here, Davey? What's that? That's I'm sorry. Friend, that's where our friend Bruno comes in. Bruno yeah. was the one guy came to the ring, no music, never had music. He came, to, he looked like a champion. He looked like a wrestler. He looked like he could rip your head off. Okay? Because he could. He could, yeah. Built like a person. He could. Um... He's the guy who made you believe because, as you say, Davey, you've said it many times, they believed because we believed. And Bruno oh, was absolutely. a guy who believed that what he was doing was a fight, and he made it look like a fight. Well, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Listen, there, there, was, a, there was a promoter in St. Louis named Sam Muchnick. Sure. Who was a, a tremendous promoter. He was a nice man. Uh, and, and I only worked in St. Louis, I think, three times. I think I worked in there three times. Uh, but Sam Muchnick would say to somebody, listen, you are a professional athlete trying to win an athletic contest. Exactly. I don't want you arguing with the fans all the time. I don't want you jumping out of the ring. I don't right. want you trying to get disqualified, unless, of course, that was what we were doing. But <laughs> Sam yeah. Muchnick said, you are out there to win an athletic contest. That's what you're there for. And, and that's why, if you looked at St. Louis, St. Louis was a great place to work, and it gave the fans quality wrestling every time they were there. There was nobody in there that made a joke of it, because for the most part, all of us would say, don't try to make a joke out of what we do for a living. 
that's not to say guys didn't have a gimmick and did their thing. And that, that was part of the entertainment, but yeah, everybody exactly. had a wrestle. And, and right now I'm not sure how many of the guys in the business now have any, I'm sure some have a wrestling background. Some have a wrestling and, oh background. Oh man, you just opened up a Pandora's box. Holy shit. Yes. You know, <laughs> just opened but, up a Pandora's box and a half brother. But, that's and again, I don't watch any of it. I don't see it. I, I couldn't tell you, but I, my wife watches, I think it's Dancing with the Stars. And yeah. she said to me, do you know this guy? I said, well, what guy? The Miz, is that his name? Yeah, right. Well, I, so so she told me about it. He was a, he was a, a, a radio DJ or something. Yeah, yeah, that, well, yeah, and yeah, he was. Uh, it was on MTV too, wasn't MTV he? Crew, yeah, whatever yeah. it was, yeah, whatever it was, he he wound up in the wrestling business. Well, yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you two things that I can tell you for sure, for sure, for sure. He wouldn't have got into the wrestling business so quick. Absolutely uh, right. Secondly, when he did get into the wrestling business he would have gotten a little baptism rather quickly. And and that would have been, that would have been with some old timers that resented someone thinking that they can just walk in and do this. Oh yeah, sure. So, so that, that would be part of the change. I'd have to say to a guy, Hey, listen, uh, I want you to wrestle, uh, Roy Shires in San Francisco, who who was a wrestler, and, and in in those days, the fifties mm-hmm. and sixties, he was a top top guy. Yeah. He, he was a megastar. Roy Shires would walk into one of his promotions, and he'd say to a guy that he didn't know, "Listen carefully. Here's what I want you to do. Yeah. I want you to wrestle." Uh, we had an expression for a heel was called chop meat. He said, yeah. I want you, that mean, that means punch, kick, whack, you know, do mm-hmm. fight stuff. And then I want you to do a high spot or two. That's what I want. But he starts yeah. with wrestling with wrestling. Sure. And so the psych, you know, that's we never discussed the psychology, but we had it in our head because we knew we were going to tell the people a story. We Absolutely. were, we were going to make, yeah, we were going to make them invest in what and we that's were showing a them. Segue. That's well, a yeah. hell of a segue. You can't have culture. the psychology without the storytelling. Wrestling oh, yeah. has always been theater. And let's just be honest, it's theater. And yes. in theater, what do you do? You tell a story, you got a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yep. And that's it's, how the story's told. Go ahead, Seth. Yeah, it, it, it is theater, but I think... Um, one thing important to do is look at where does professional wrestling fit today. And a lot of what professional wrestling used to be in terms of visually, I think yeah. mixed martial arts has stepped in and kind of replaced that. Um, it used to be, like I was saying, part of the fight culture. Right. Um, now it's more part of the video game culture. You've got the comic book culture. You've got all these mm-hmm. different other things. And that's not but, wrestling. That That's the problem. It's not fighting it's not wrestling you used to have guys coming in from football backgrounds uh from bouncers you know bouncers and clubs and stuff would be you've always had that in wrestling understand something Uh, you've always had that in wrestling guys that and let's just be honest dave you'll tell you it's the truth 
guys that couldn't make a living doing anything else that that could beat people up pretty good. They were they were almost guaranteed a career in wrestling. Oh, they sure. had a look. They had a, a a certain fear factor about them. The problem today, Seth, you look at these guys. I could beat up half the fucking roster that's on there now. That's my point exactly. Is if you come from another athletic background or kind of a tough world or whatever, you could make it in wrestling and be intimidating and be believable. Uh, Nowadays, it's people that grew up watching Saturday morning cartoons and they want to be that superhero. And therein lies your believability factor. There isn't a believability factor. Correct. That's that's you know. Yeah, no, listen, no doubt. But, you know, I was lucky to be involved in, in what people call the golden age. Yeah. And, you know, a lot earlier than, than I got there, you know, I've seen some of the matches, and I'll tell you what, they were a little bit boring. They were a little bit boring. People didn't want to see uh, uh, two wrestlers on the mat for 35 minutes in a short arm bar. Sure. In a short armbar, they just didn't well, want to see me, that. Let Listen. me throw a name at you, Davey. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw a monkey wrench into this theory of yours. Okay. Let me throw a couple names at you. George Wagner, gorgeous George. Great wrestler. Let me throw another name at you, Ricky Starr, a guy oh. who was a ballet, a, a legitimate ballad, ballet, a ballerina, basically. Is ballerina, that's right. Okay, but Ricky Stark could leap across the ring with like two leaps, and he was, you know, from one side to another. You know, back when and, they had those big boxing rings. Yeah, Gorgeous. and I'll tell you what else about him. He 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 could light you up whatever he wanted. He was I'm a tough guy. Yeah, they they said that you know that Ricky Starr, you know, he was cut. If you ever take a a good look at Ricky Starr back in the day, he had like the classic six pack ab. He had yep. a complete V-shaped body. That Big, guy, long that muscles, yeah. He had And then yeah. you had a guy, you know, talk about storytelling and psychology. George Wagner, a.k.a. Gorgeous George. Oh, yeah. Okay. That took some cojones, some balls, brother, to walk down an aisle, you know, wearing, you know, um, uh, chiffon and... and uh, Feathers and whatever the like sequins and yeah, I mean that took some cojones. But let me tell you, so, something. prior to that, George could wrestle. Prior to that, George yeah, well, no, George could light you up, Seth. Let yeah. me tell you something. He was a tough son of a bitch. Yeah, yeah. That's, see that that's that's when the business started to change. Listen, uh, one of my kids, since I'm I'm technologically bankrupt, uh, <laughs> set up set up whatever they set up on a television, and uh, my son said, "Here you go." Check this out, and he put uh, some video on there from the fifties and sixties, and I watched a match between uh, Wilbur Snyder, was, oh a, was a big guy in the Midwest, yeah, and a guy named Warren Bockwinkle, which was Nick Bockwinkle. Oh my dad. God, Nick's daddy, yes, yes. Now let me tell you something. I appreciated it. It was a two out of three, forty forty-five minute match. Wow! I think I saw, I think I saw. And now, now, Bockwinkle was a heel. Nick's dad yeah. was also a heel. Yeah. I think I saw two punches thrown, two or Amazing, two forearms. That was it. These guys Amazing. wrestled, uh, and and a finish for them was a backdrop. Boom! Cover. 
Yeah. All right. Thank you. So, so, so that's what that was about. That was the people knew Beautiful. who the heel was. They knew who the baby was. Uh, a guy like Gorgeous George or Ricky Starr were creative enough and ballsy enough to say, yeah. okay, let's, let's give them a little more to look at now. Exactly. So Gorgeous George said, well, you know what? I'm not only going to give them some wrestling. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them a reason to really hate me. Exactly he was, right. He had he had the forethought to to do that, and it worked. I was lucky enough to come along after those guys, and and they actually made it easier. They made yeah. it easier, but but when I started, uh, you had to wrestle. My very first match. Listen, I was a, a an okay amateur. You know, I wrestled in school. I was yeah. I played football in school. I was in pretty good shape. I was big, and my very first match was in Sedalia, Missouri, uh, against a guy named Joe Scarpello. Now, if you look up a little history on Joe Scarpello, uh, you'll see that he was an NCAA and AAU champ. Yeah, uh, I, I think he wrestled in the service. And in fact, years later, you know, I was talking to Bruno in a car one night, and I said Joe Scarpello, and Bruno said, "Oh my God, he's what a nice man!" And oh, he knew how what to do. Uh, and the referee was a guy uh, that I got to know, Ronnie Etchison, one of those real grisly old timers. Oh and God, yeah. Here we are in the ring. Don't forget, never broken in. Yeah. Nobody showed. Nobody showed me a thing, and. I heard some terminology in the dressing room. I heard working, shooting. I knew what a shoot was because yeah. I was a shooter. I could work. I could sure. wrestle. When we got in the ring and Ronnie Etchison brought us to the center of the ring, I said, "Are we shooting or are we working?" And this is what I could still hear. Uh, <laughs> Ronnie Etchison. He had a voice that sounded like he had an ice skate stuck in his throat. He yeah, went, <laughs> he went. So, so I said, "Are we shooting? Are we working?" And I heard Ronnie Etcherson say, "Jesus Christ!" He says, "Oh no!" And little, Joe Scarpello, two hundred and fifteen, two hundred and twenty pounds. You know, five feet eight inches. Uh, yeah. Davey O'Hannon, almost six feet, two sixty. Uh, Joe Scarpello said, "Just take your best hold, kid." Well, in about uh, yeah. seven minutes, in about seven minutes, I realized I didn't have a best hold. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Stretch the shit uh, out of you, Davey. I'm saying to myself, what in the world is going on here? Uh, I'm getting, and he, he let me know that if he wanted to, he could really do some damage. Absolutely. Which he didn't. He was a great guy. So what happened there was a wrestling lesson. For a new guy that thought he could just walk into this little world of theirs and know what he's doing. Okay, so uh, yeah. psychology? Yeah, well, Joe Scarpello gave me a psychology course that night. Uh, oh, my God. Yes, he did, too. And, and the I'll course tell you was... Because um, you just you, you triggered the memory bank for me, Davey. Uh, and I'm, I'm thankful that you did. Uh, there was a guy, you, I, you may have known him. Um, I know that you know his son, but there was a guy back in the day that was both a psychologist, a technician, a brawler, and at the same time 
could tell a story without doing much of anything. And he's a guy who could get heat without doing much of anything, too. Let me let me guess. Johnny John Valentine. There you go. Uh, un- unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. He could, he, he's he, a guy that could He started a riot with his face. Exactly. That's my point. He could take a hold on you and hold it for 10 minutes and people would oh, get restless yeah. and food. And what would he do? He'd keep it longer. That's right. He'd keep That's it right. longer. Because he knew that you hated him and he wanted you to hate him a little bit more. And he also wanted to tell you. But yes, he, sex, he, but that, therein lies the story. Therein right. lies the psychology. Therein lies how to get yourself over and that's a question. Remember, Davey, on the old show, I used to used to say to people, "What's the?" And I've gotten, I've asked the same question every show and never got the the same answer. I would always say to people, "What's the difference between getting over and being over?" And I've gotten, and I asked that question a hundred times. I bet you I got a hundred answers. Well, sure. Yeah, being over is the, the people don't get tired of seeing you. They don't know exactly. what you're going to do. You know, exactly. you got to work hard to get over. And you have to do, you, you mentioned Johnny Valentine, yeah. who was an absolute master, a master. God, yeah. See, and, and like you just said, he would take an arm. Well, his psychology was he, he was schooling the people that were watching is what was going on. Yeah. He was showing the people, you're watching a wrestler here. You're yeah, watching you're, a wrestling the- match. You're my student, and I'm your professor. Exactly. Yeah. Pay attention to me, he'd say, mm-hmm. uh, in a in a way. And and Greg Valentine, pretty much, is the guy that said the people believed in us because we believed in what we were doing. And that's what you have what to do. What we were doing, and and so so when when they saw Johnny Valentine get out of that arm bar or whatever and, and do a, do a high spot. Boy, that meant something. That was, that was, that was, let's talk about Davey. You know, you mentioned high spots earlier in the show back in Uh a time and a day when, you know, let's be honest about high spots back in the day was, was a risky thing because you had rings that were basically boxing rings. Oh boy. The ropes were not, you know, like, like they are now, you know? Sure. You got ropes now that are like, you may as well say just like, you know, springs, because that's pretty much all they are, the spring, spring action. And they're so yep. tight, you could do the great Rolanda walk across them. Yep. You know? Back in the day, you got hung up in a rope. I remember, oh my God, I remember seeing this. Don Leo Jonathan and and I know that you knew him, Davey. Don Leo Jonathan was six foot nine. Yep. Three hundred and probably three thirty, three forty. Big man. I saw him get wrapped up in a rope between the second and third rope and hung there by his neck. Now you know he was okay, but still the visual of a six foot nine guy. Hanging by his neck from the second and third rope, draped on the outside of the ring, was a sight to behold. And oh, that you're not was something just, oh my God, you, you, you wanted to, to go help him. You know, is he okay? 
Oh, my God, is he going to be all right? That was well, the psychology. See, some guys were really skilled in certain moves. And, and yeah. again, you know, I'll tell you guys, I won't be insulted if you say, be quiet for a second, you're talking too much. Uh, but well, whoever, who, who else was really skilled with that was Manny Soto, Cyclone Soto. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was working uh, in the Bronx with him one night. Uh, we used to go to a place called the Puerto Rican Theater, uh, and it was always a full house. It was one of Vince's uh, spot shows during the week. Yeah. And I, I tossed Manny over the top, and he hung himself up. Yeah. And he was choking. You know, he, he, he was given that same visual that Don Leo was given. And Manny is in there, but, but in Spanish, he says, he's killing me. I went, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> you know, because I was on the other side of the ring tightening the ropes up. So oh. so he says it, and before you know it, there were well, probably 10 or 15 people climbing up and getting Manny out of that problem he had. Oh but then they figured, God. then they figured, well, while we're here, we might as well kill Davey O'Hannon. There you, you go. <laughs> and and w- when I tell you they chased me, Right out of the building, oh right out of the building. It was, it was, and why? Because Manny was telling them a story that was so convincing, that was so convincing. Yeah, they believed in it. Well, they let me ask you a question, man. Davey. That's a, that's a really good question. Uh, a, a really good segue to ask a question, and then I'm going to let Seth follow up. Um, have there been buildings, Davey, that you've worked that were so hot you were afraid to go back? Well, it was it was fun to go back, but you know you always have that in your mind. You always yeah. have that in your mind. I've been I've been cut and and punched and had cigarettes put out on me and uh, yeah. you know had full diapers thrown at me and yeah. you know it's been I'm all kinds of stuff. For a reason I was I, I heard an interview recently with Michael P. S. Hayes. Michael Hayes from the Fabulous Freebirds mm-hmm. said that he was petrified, petrified every time he had to work the Von Erichs at the Sportatorium in Dallas. Oh, yeah, that was a tough place. Well, that was yeah, a tough not place. only was it a tough place, but the Von Erichs were like God in Texas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly yeah. right. Uh, and and, and uh, before Seth gets in there, and I apologize again, there was a place oh, in God, Brooklyn. There was a place in Brooklyn in Greenpoint, uh, St. Stanislaus was the name of it, and they had a little arena. Uh, the parish, I guess, owned the building or whatever it was, and we used to work there all the time. And I worked, uh, I, I had a whole series with Kevin Sullivan when he first came in, and oh, wow. he was a baby face. Uh, but anyway, I worked with Kevin in St. Stanislaus Kevin, one night. Kevin was and, a face? Oh, yeah, that's how oh, he got my. here. Sure, sure. And, the devil uh, was a face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, we had a really good hot match, uh, that wound up, uh, I don't know, no contest thrown out, double DQ, whatever yeah. it was. I don't, but the next time we came back four weeks later, uh, I started to, I went up the steps and I stepped into the aisle and I took a look and there was a guy right on the aisle that had a huge Bowie knife. Oh, good on Lord. his hip, and when I stepped up, he unsnapped it and took it out of his out of the sheath, and he was holding it next to his leg, 
And I went, uh-oh. I stepped back to where I was safe, down the steps. Yeah. And I said to Arnold Skoll, and I said, Arnold, I said, listen, there's a guy right on the aisle. And as soon as I stepped up there, he focused on me. I said, he's got the biggest freaking knife you ever saw, that I ever saw anyway. I said, and I'm not going out there until you send somebody out to see what's going on. Well, sure enough, they, you know, they arrested him. They took him out of there. Oh, you know, I didn't know. Oh, he had yeah. intention of using it. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, wow. this it's crazy stuff. I got, you know, some somebody got me in, uh, I, I, in Colorado uh, on my left arm with a barber's razor. You know, I, I had Larry Zabisco here last week. He talks about um, uh, being up in Albany, New York. Yep. And uh, and going out to the ring, coming back from the ring, and uh, and having one of the boys say to him, hey, do you know you're bleeding? Oh, he yeah. He was bleeding. He said, no, I don't know. Where, where am I bleeding from? He goes, turn around. He goes, so he looks over his shoulder. And sticking out of his ass is an army knife that, uh, from a yep. woman. A woman stabbed him in the ass with an army knife. And well, the handle well, broke off. The blade was stuck in his butt cheek. Well, yeah. Listen, and again, I apologize, Seth. You know, uh, 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 I, I came home after working someplace one night. Uh, we we had first gotten married. We had an apartment, and uh, I didn't want to wake my wife up and go in a bedroom, turn a light on. So in the hallway, I uh, turned a light on, took my stuff off, uh, threw my tights and everything uh, over by the laundry. And as I walked by the bed, she had woken up, and she said, "Wait a minute, what what happened to your hip?" I said, "Oh, what's that?" So I had I had three stitches on on my right hip. I said, "Oh, I said a lady stuck a nail file in my." <laughs> In the side of my leg as I walked back to the dressing room. Oh she popped God. it in. Yeah, you know. And and I'm kind of like fussy about being clean. And I'm yeah. thinking to myself, oh, crap, this lady just cleaned her toenails and then she stuck it in my leg. <laughs> what the hell? You know. But, uh, yeah, I had to get I had to get three stitches in, in the, on the side of my thigh, you know, up oh, high near Lord, my head. She popped that baby right in there. Oh, and, my God. And why? Because as far as we were concerned... Our psychology was to tell these people such a vivid story exactly. that they either loved you or hated you. Exactly. And that's exactly. what you wanted them to do. Oh, yeah. Especially Mission accomplished. Oh, yeah. yeah. You want them to hate you. Go ahead, Seth. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, I, I loved being a heel. When I was working in wrestling, I was a manager. I was a heel manager. And if we're talking starting riots, uh, now we're talking my language because I used to love getting <laughs> under the skin of the audience and interacting with them. And then if they went too far, uh, I never was stabbed, luckily, but I wasn't opposed to fighting. Of course, the boxing was in me back then, you know, bare knuckle boxing and all that stuff. So I wasn't opposed to like getting into it. And in the time that I was doing it, you still could without getting sued immediately. <laughs> you know, where yeah. today it's yeah. like you can't do it at all. Um, but I have to tell a story. My friend, my best friend, she always shows this picture when people say, hey, what's your friend Seth like? And she brought a friend of hers, this very conservative young woman, uh, intellectual artist, to one of my wrestling matches way back when. And, and she'd never been to one before and everything. And she took a picture of her friend who's 
mouth open, screaming at the top of her lungs, holding <laughs> a tall boy of Pat's blue ribbon up in the air, and just a small, angry face, you know, look on her face. And my friend tells people, this is what my friend Seth does. This is what he does to people. So, yeah. But he's the nicest guy in the world. But that's what he does. And so um, I was going to go back to wrestling at one point, and I sat down with the booker, and he said, uh, this was maybe only three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, you know, okay, a couple of rules. You can't, uh, you can't swear, to which I said, well, shit. And then he said, uh, <laughs> you can't start a riot. You can't incite people to throw things at you. You can't interact, interact directly with the audience or an audience member. And I said, well, that's my whole routine. How am I supposed to get them to react? So how am I supposed to be a real villain here, Yeah, you know, uh, and not, uh, so I said, you know, I, I don't know, I can't get in there and just uh, read a script. It, it just wasn't in me to do that, you know, so it's wow. that, that is in our blood as, and it should be in our blood as sure. professional wrestlers, uh, whether you're a face or a heel, to want to garner that real response well, that you know, well, Seth, you brought up a question right in, in your in your dissertation there here's a question for you mr ohannon dear friend of mine can you teach someone can 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 that art can that skill be taught or is it truly you're born with it is it inside you well you know you 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 have to cultivate your character, you know, whoever you want it to be. I found it easier to be a heel. I found it easier to be a heel because uh, I could smirk. I could just say, shut up, you know, yeah. or, or, you know, uh, however it's done. But if you're yeah. working with someone that's relatively new or, or sometimes you'd be working with a baby face that, that is eager to show some of his stuff. Well, what you have to teach them, and we used to do it right in the ring while the match is going on. Yeah, uh, they have to. They have to know that the selling part is huge. It's huge yeah. because sure. if you don't sell enough, then the people don't buy into your pain. They don't. They don't buy into that problem you have. So, so a heel who pretty much runs the match, who yeah. pretty much runs the match. Uh, has to every once in a while say, "Not yet, not yet." You know who was you know who was one of the best baby faces ever was uh, Joe Scarpa, Chief Strongbow. Oh, Chief uh-huh. J Strongbow, sure. If, Joe if you if you put and, and there's a guy you didn't have to say anything to because he was such a fantastic professional. Oh my God! That he yeah. knew you know he knew what to do. So so if I was working uh, with the Indian, uh, you know my philosophy. The part of the psychology was to be a heel, to be a successful heel, you got to you got to be three things. You have to be vicious, you have to be sneaky, yeah, yeah. and you have to be a coward. Absolutely okay? right. So at, so, the, at the right moment. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. So 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 if I was if I was working with the no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Good. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, can we talk about the chief for a minute? Talk about anything you want. About the chief. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about the chief for a minute. Because chief was all those things you said he was. But oh, he was yeah. also a guy 
that was really divisive in the back, you know, in the back room. You either well, loved the chief or you didn't. Like, why yeah. was why was he so divisive, or or was he just the guy who said this is the way it is and this is what you're going to do? Yeah, he he was he protected our business. So so if he was in a position to tell somebody what to do, he did it. Now, personally, he and I always got along really well. Right. Not a problem. Not a problem. Uh, I've heard other people say, I can't stand him. I hate him. He was, he was an office guy. Well, guess what? At the end, he that's was. what he was. He worked yeah. for the office. So, so we don't know what he's being told from in the right. office in Connecticut. Sure. He, he he knows, you know, if they say to him, uh, okay, chief, uh, uh, you got the, uh, uh, you got the house in Scranton tonight, take care of it. Here's who yeah. you have. Uh, here's what I want to happen. You know, he would, he would go up to you and say, okay, Davey, mm-hmm. I need, I need 12 minutes. Yeah. I don't need 11. I don't need 13. I need 12 minutes. Yeah. Uh, what I want you to do and, and, uh, uh, you know, get so and so's, uh, get Larry Zabisco's hand up. You got it. That's all you have to tell me. There you go. You don't have to tell me. You know, uh, I'd say, yeah, I'd say, Larry, Larry, what are you, what are you going to do? I'll, I'll use the, the stretch. Okay, that's, that's pretty much. Unless things were really complicated, that's all. That's all we talked about. Mm-hmm. He knew I was a heel. I knew he was yeah. a baby, and we went out there. And first of all, uh, a good heel first gets out wrestled. Yeah. That's what makes that's what frustrates you and makes you vicious. Okay. So so I'll try to wrestle Larry or Tony Garea or Rick Martello, wherever it might have been, and and they would make me look silly wrestling. Yeah. So so now it's time for me to say, well screw this. Yeah, you want you want to make me look silly like this? Well here, try this one on your chin. See if this makes you look silly. Boom. Then you take over. And then you whack them all around, and you're vicious. And and yeah. maybe when it's time for them to make a little comeback, uh, you know, on your knees, cross my heart, hope to die, uh, ask the people, boom, you got hit again. Sorry, Tony Correa, you're back down here with me, and we're doing it. But now when it's time yeah. for now the people are really, really sick of me. They're yeah, really exactly. tired of this, and they want to see a major ass-kicking going on. Exactly. And and we know who the recipient of that ass kicking is going to um, be. Of course. Okay. Me. That's good. Absolutely. That's good. <laughs> but but what you had to do with some baby faces, you really had to read the crowd. You well, had to read the crowd. And, and that's why I. You. I want to stop you right there because reading the crowd is where I want you to go with this. Okay. What's it like? And you've been there. And I'm, I know you've been there because I saw the match. What's it like? To have 25,000 people staring at you, you in one corner, knowing that Bruno is in the other corner. <laughs> You're saying to yourself, holy crap, it's Bruno. <laughs> I yeah. saw the match today from the Philadelphia Spectrum. Yeah. So now, I know you, and I knew Bruno, and I knew that, you know, you guys were, were great friends, but he looked like he wanted to rip your balls off in that match. Well, yeah, yeah, because once we got out there, it wasn't, uh, you know, whoever it was, whether it was Bruno or Strongbow or Johnny Rods or Pete Sanchez or Manny, right. didn't matter who it was. Uh, 
like I told you before, we were out there to win an athletic contest. Yeah. So there's no fooling around going on. There's no fooling around going on. Uh, and, and if you were proficient uh, in your craft, which uh, eventually I think I got to be, uh, if you were proficient in your craft, you know, the hardest match you ever had was with somebody that didn't know what they were doing. That was terrible. Yeah. That was terrible. If there was, there was, and, and this is not a knock. I, my kid told me he watched a, a, a match with a guy named Joe Mascaro and I from the spectrum. And he, my, my son said, dad, oh my God, like, uh, yes, I know exactly what match you're talking about. I sure yeah, do. See, I, I never saw it, but my son said, uh, you look like you got a little aggravated and yeah, you look yeah, like boy. you were lay, you were laying some in there. Well, yeah, I probably, and I don't remember a lot of matches, but I do remember. Oh, it's on YouTube, Dave. Go look at it. <laughs> oh, is it really? Well, yeah, it sure I remember, is. you see, see a guy like a guy like me would resent somebody that came into business and didn't know what to do right away. Now I was, yeah, I was that kind of, I was that like kind of guy. It looked like you were potatoing the guy pretty good. Yeah, I was. You know, it looked like you were, you know, lobbing some real potatoes at him. Well, I was. Well, I was. Yeah, and because... it showed. Trust me. When I... <laughs> well, it and you, you know why? Because he was he was exposing us. If he could have, well, if he could have, and... if he could have been an amateur and wrestled no. me there, okay, the people might not have liked it as much. But at least he would have been looking like a wrestler. This guy had well, a really great body on him. Let's take that scenario, and then conversely, who uh, who's working? You're working with a guy who's who's a night off for you? Oh, Strongbow was Johnny Rods was Pete Sanchez, Manny Soto. Uh, uh, here, here, how about this one? Ray Stevens. I got to work twice oh, with Ray Stevens. Oh, oh my God! Oh my God! Wow, Ray the Crippler, sure. I, I worked, I, I got a real lesson in psychology from Dory Funk Jr. Oh, when wow. I was working in Texas. Dory Funk Jr., now, as far as I was concerned, you know, I was just Davey. So I said, uh, we called him Dunk. I said, Dunk, whatever you want. He said, okay, kid, we'll do it. Dory Funk Jr. took a headlock on me. Mm-hmm. A headlock, all right, for 45 minutes. I believe it. We did everything off that headlock, but it was right back to the headlock. Yeah. When it was time to go home, when it was time to go home, and, you know, it, throughout the match, I did my stuff, my punch, kick, whatever I did, wrestle, sure. boom, he'd be back in that headlock. When it was yeah. time to finish up, these people were going nuts. These people were Incredible. going nuts. A guy like him was so easy. The hard guys to work with were, were people that just didn't know what they were doing that made because they exposed yeah. us, you know, mm. they exposed us and, and they made you feel stupid out there. And, and if you were serious about the business, then you didn't want that to happen. Yeah. You didn't want yeah. that to happen. If, if somebody, if somebody threw a punch or a kick at me, now it was always a newer guy uh, or, or a guy that wasn't broken in at that point. And, and that punch or kick missed. I've seen people, react to it. I didn't react to it. You, you missed the punch. Shame yeah. on you. I just punched you back. Exactly. You know, uh, and, and yeah. Bruno said to me once, uh, Davey, he said, if you're in a fight and you're going to throw a punch at somebody, do you pick up one of your 
legs and stomp. Well, I didn't do that. I used to set my feet and I would punch. I didn't stomp the mat. Yeah. So, so I said, no, Bruno, you know, I don't do that. He said, no, no, no. He says, I just watched a guy that every time he threw a punch, he stomped. No, no, that's, that gives us a bad name. That's, that's yeah. a bad optic, man. That's, yeah, a, that's, that's all part of the psychology. Because like you said, the psychology is to convince the people that, it's that they're watching a contest. Sure. And, and convince them that you're the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And the other guy's the good guy, and and that's what you wanted to convey. You know that makes me think of that. We kind of talked about this a few days ago, Angela. I think is that I was saying that um, in in this modern era, not just the wrestling, but just in our culture, the era of the harmless bar fight. Not that they were ever totally harmless, but the yeah. gone out having a few beers, getting in a you know getting in a you know in a bar brawl or. Even just with your friends, even brawling around or whatever, you know. Yeah, Ohana um, knows all about that. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, going and doing that is kind of gone from a lot of yeah. the culture. From the psychology, even of a you know a a, a shoot is yeah. is gone because people don't know. People haven't been in a shoot, let alone at work. Yeah. And if you're doing a work that's going to work, it has to look like a shoot. But that culture has shifted, and so yeah. how do you? You were asking earlier, can you can it be taught, or is it something that's just in you, or you know, not in you? I don't know if it's not in you that it can be taught cold, but I think if it's in you but not out there, it can be nurtured. Does that make sense? Like, oh yeah, uh, yeah, of course. And, and you know what? The, be- sure. the best yeah. way to learn it is to is to watch people yeah. that are so good at it. Go go watch a Dorian or it. or watch Bruno or Scarpa or somebody, and just watch what they're doing. Yeah, you know, just you say doing. that one of the guys that was famous for doing that, my surprise is seven-time world champion Luthez. Used oh, to God, watch yeah. other guys. And oh, sure. That, it off. That doesn't yeah, off. when and Scott Casey asked him one time, Lou, you're a seven-time world champion. What are you what are you watching these guys for? And he looked at him and said, Scott, you can always learn. And you can always take a move and make it your own. Oh yeah, and he's yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. I well, want boxing. We say, uh, you know, you don't win or lose; you you win or learn. You know, you take any loss as a learning moment. Yeah, you know, that that's an interesting way to look at it, Davey. Yeah, exactly. You win or learn. That's exactly right. Listen, like I said, I was never broken in the business. And, you know, if you if you watch professional wrestling at some point you'll see that everybody works on the left side of the body. Absolutely. Everything is on the left side. I didn't know that. I had no idea. And uh, I I used to get back in the dressing room as quick as I could, and then I'd yeah. go find a seat someplace where I could watch the card. And I sat down one night in the old Philadelphia arena, uh. and I sat in front of Don Jardine, who was oh, yeah. who was a master? The spoiler, sure. And he and he says to me, "Hey, kid." I said, "Oh, hi, Mister Jardine." He said, "Ah, don't give me that, Mister Dark Jardine shit." <laughs> he said, "You're one of the boys." I said, uh, "He said, listen." He said, uh, "I see you work European style sometimes." Now I'm saying to myself, "The heck is that? I don't know what that is." Right. He said, "Yeah, I saw you grab him on the right side a couple of times." Oh, wait a minute. 
here I am learning something here. Let me focus a little more. I watched the matches. I grabbed a couple of wrestling magazines. I said, look at this. Everything is on the left side. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you, somebody you, know, that, you know who was famous for that was uh, the the legendary Billy Robinson. Oh yeah, yeah. Billy yeah. was great. Watch Billy Robinson work. That man was amazing. His I worked with him too. Big boy. Yeah, yeah I worked he with Billy Robinson. I, I worked with him. I think in in Pueblo, Colorado, and Albuquerque, and Amarillo. I worked with him three or yeah. four three or four times. We worked. You know, and, and Billy, we, we were doing our thing, and I put a top wrist lock on him, and he got over to my ear, and he said, he said, you know what, mate? He says, I could break your leg tonight if I want to. No, I, I knew his reputation. Yeah. Sure. I knew his reputation. I oh, said, he was a straight-up shoot guy, too. Yeah. I said, well, I'm sure you could. I'm sure you could. Yeah. And then later that night after the match, uh, a lot of us lived at a place called the Center City Motor Inn in Amarillo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, I'm, I'm in the room. I had my door open. It was a nice night. And, uh, Billy came walking by and he's got a few beers. He says, Hey, come on in, shut the door. So nobody sees us. So, uh, he says, ah, you know, we haven't really met. So we talked for a few minutes. Uh, nice man. I got along great with him. I said, Billy, I said, I, I just got to tell you something. He said, what, what's that mate? I said, you remember, uh, two nights ago or last night you said to me, uh, uh, you know, you could break my leg anytime you wanted to. Oh, yeah, yeah. He kind of smiled. I said, well, you know what? I know that. You know, I know that. I, I know you're, I know you, you know, you've packed some shit here. I said, but you've got to understand something. You break my leg. I said, then you can't walk down any street in the United States for the rest of your life without worrying about somebody walking up behind you and breaking a baseball bat over your head. I said, yeah. you got to remember that might happen, too. So we yeah. laughed. We we finished the beer. Actually, we're laughing, and uh, unfortunately, there was a, a a girl walking by our room on the sidewalk, uh, and she was rather full figured. Uh, she was about the size of Billy and I put together. Uh, <laughs> and Billy says to me, "Well, I'll bet you another six pack that I can suplex her." <laughs> I said, "You can't." I said, "You can't suplex her." He said, "Is the bet on?" I said, "It's on." Oh, he says, God. he says, excuse me, excuse me. She, you know, she knew who the wrestlers were, oh, sure. you know, now I'm, I'm worried about getting fired for, for <laughs> being in front of the fans here with the guy I just worked with that night. But oh, he shit. brings her in a room, uh, goes behind her, suplexes her onto my bed, the oh. bed <laughs> broke and flattened out on oh. the floor. I wound up having to buy a bed frame from the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> I said to him, "You asshole! Oh, now you can." I said, "You just broke the bed. I got to sleep on for the next three days till I go back on the road." I said, "And you want me oh, to buy shit. the beer too, right?" He said, "Yep." He said, "You lost the bet." Okay, oh, he suplexed her. Yeah, belly to back suplex splattered splattered my bed to the floor. It was unreal. What the furniture did you have to reimburse the hotel for? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I couldn't oh, sleep on it. Sad. It was broken. It was broken right down the middle in half. The box spring wood broke. The frame bent to the floor. I went to the desk. I said, do we have any other beds? So what's the matter with the one you have? I said, well, I fell on it and it broke. You know, I didn't, I didn't tell him Billy Robinson suplexed Super a 400 pound girl onto it. <laughs> How was the woman? What happened to her? 
Oh, I don't know. I think hilarious. we threw. I think we threw. We tossed her out and finished the beer. I think. I'm um, not sure. I'll tell you what. That sounds like a great ending to a night. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Brother, was, I'll tell you what, Davey. It is always story time with Davey O'Hannon when he comes on there. You know, you got a, a 30 plus year career in professional wrestling. You don't leave without a few stories, and Davey's <laughs> got a steamer trunk full of them. Brother, I'm going to let you go tonight because um, we this is the fastest hour we've had in a long time. Can I get you back here next week, Davey? Anytime you want. we a part two next week? Yep, no problem. Beautiful. Seth, uh, I got you for next yeah. week. Uh, oh, I, I, yeah, I think I can arrange that. That should be all right. Cool. Excellent. Same, same place, same time. Yeah. yeah, stay with me, you guys. I want to say goodnight to everybody. Well, All this right. is going to be part one of uh, Ring Psychology and Storytelling, and I got I got two great guys tonight. We got uh, Mr. Fish and Chips himself, Seth Witz, and Irish Davey O'Hannon. He is the most Italian-Irish guy I ever met in my life. <laughs> and, uh, and he's my neighbor here in Atlantic City, not far away at all. So, fortunately... Um, I am going to have to say goodnight to everybody, unfortunately, but we will be back next week. And as we continue to wrestle with the future, have a great night, everybody. Enjoy your week. Be safe, and we'll see you next time. Take care, everybody. everybody. Thank you. Take care.